Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back to the pod, everyone. Hope you've been enjoying, I think this drops in November, so I'm just going to go with November. (laughs) Hope you're enjoying your November. If it's not November... If you came to our event, thank you so much for coming to the event. And we're... I we'll think probably drop like a little pod, like update about like maybe you'll get a bonus pod. Maybe you'll get a bonus pod or maybe you got to check our Facebook group. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we are literally deciding that as we're recording this intro. <laughs> we just had a, an amazing discussion. We're so excited that we had Terry Brown from So Happy to Learn at Terry Brown's house. If you guys are listeners from the Lucky Few podcast, you will have heard her on there. But we were so happy to have her and just talk about her philosophies behind her teachings and not just her philosophies and her teaching uh, methodologies, but just her perspective and her ideas behind potentials of children and setting expectations high and not limiting what we think these kiddos can do. And it was a really great conversation. We really dove pretty deep into, you know, how we can be teaching these children better and how we can be supporting them, not just from educators' perspective, but from parents and aunts and uncles and friends and anyone that works with kids. I think just setting children up for success and not putting our own high expectations Mm -hmm. on neurotypical kids and just children with all sorts of learning differences. We really went into that kind of like down that like avenue. And Terry's just so knowledgeable. And even though it just was based off of a book that she had read, she's really created a way to make learning fun and to how she always says, set the child up for success. And it's not that you don't have to have fun, but like there's just no more fun anymore anymore so it was just really refreshing she's amazing she's here locally in socal and we're totally going to become her best friend so look out for a future i think we want to start a campaign to get her to teach all future teachers because if she could create just like a digital version of herself that could be broadcast to any future teachers and it's just having that information we're not saying that like her you know oh well she doesn't have a curriculum but no we're just saying like it's just a teaching strategy it's just something that is just nice to know yeah and it's just the philosophy well and she takes it from research it's not like she just came up with her own you know ideas but she's kind of made it her own and and even just the concept that these kids deserve more and that they can do anything we just need to believe in them and structure our teaching and everything around that concept and I think that's so simple and you know something that it should be the first thing that goes into anyone's mind that works with children that they can do anything if we you know like we always say you can do anything you set your mind to let's live by that well I mean at least and even if you don't think that give them the opportunity to try 
because you don't know what you don't know. You so, don't know until you try for anything. For anything. Yeah. yeah. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. We enjoyed thoroughly recording it with Terry Brown. Hi, Terry. We're so happy to have Terry Brown on the podcast. And hopefully our listeners are aware of who you are because this is very exciting. Welcome. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Terry, we first found out about you from the Lucky Few podcast, which our listeners just heard our episode a couple weeks ago with them, those wonderful women as well. And we were just so grateful that you could come on because, you know, we often talk about how we can be better supporters of these children and how we can be better teachers and educators and parents. And I think what you do is so unique, yet I feel like should be done all over the place. And so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into education for our listeners? Okay, well, basically, just for those that aren't familiar with what I do is I teach reading, writing, math, art, everything and learners that have unique learning stuff. Actually, the program that I've created is good for all children. Now I see a lot of neurotypical children like siblings and it's a great happy head start into the world of learning. So I have an online program and I see about 70 families in my private practice that come. And like I say, I teach, I have a very unique way reading, writing, and math, setting the learner up for success, making it doable, making it fun. And it all started about 20 years ago. I was working as a parent, and I didn't know anything about anything other than I'm just a natural-born teacher. You know, I was in school <laughs> growing up and like to be teacher and all that stuff. And so I'm a natural, but I never thought to go into teaching or a mom, two young children who went were in the school system wanted a job working at their school so I could make some money and I could see what's going on and just be a part of their world. Well, that didn't pan out, but I, I was giving a job offer to work at the end. And actually, by default, I got the job because nobody else signed up for it. There was no there was wow. competition. So I think, well, I know now that it was totally meant to be. But it was very interesting. I kind of went in there and I asked the teacher, like, okay, books do I read? What do I need to know to work with these children? She's like, well, there really is nothing. You just have to learn. It's like on-the-job training. I'm like, okay. That's such a crazy answer to get from someone who's supposed to be like a coworker slash supporter. Such a crazy experience. It is very common, you know. There really wasn't anything. There was no guidebook. There was no hands-on or anything. So watched and I would watch speech therapist, I would watch the teacher, I would watch back then there was quite a few children with autism in the class, so autism therapists came in, so I would watch them and you know, I have to tell you looking back and a lot of mistakes, things that sort of watching and taught to do, I wouldn't do now. Because mm-hmm. well, over the years I learned how children learn best and so the program kind of went in that direction. But anyway, I'm diversing a little bit. <laughs> we had three little children with Down syndrome, and the SDC class had moved into a full inclusion setting, like a mix where it was our 15 with special needs mixed in with two kindergarten classes. Oh, wow. So I always say that it was kind of like my internship. It was like boot camp and internship. It was wonderful because I got to learn about what full inclusion is about, and 
And we had a lot of children who were very heavily impacted. It was quite an experience. So I learned a lot. And then one day I was talking to one of the moms of little ones with Down syndrome. And she asked me, I said, well, I wonder how you teach these guys how to read. Like, I wonder, is it this year or is it next year? Like, I always want to know what's the master plan. You always think like there's a big plan. Yeah. Right now they're just doing this, but next year they learn how to read. Like the big picture. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of questions. So she's like, well... I got this book that I'm reading, and it's called Teaching Reading to Children with Down Syndrome by Pat Trisha Olwine. Would you like to borrow it? And I said, yes, I would. And she brought it to me the next day, and I took it home, and I devoured it. I was <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, these guys can read. They can write. They're, oh, wow. I was not seeing any of this. And I was like, wow, I'm going to give this a try. So luckily, everybody... I had a lot of leeway to do what I wanted to do. I was great help. I was a good paraprofessional teacher. So they're like, do it. Whatever you want to do is fine. So I took the principles that were in Patricia's book and it's a child up for success and making it high interest. Like we would take a picture of, I would get a picture of Mars mom. Get the, we would match the two together so they would make the connect mom and the picture of mom go together. And then so I took all the little ideas that she had down in this classroom. How this is sort of how my program was born, choice folder, and they got they had weeks worth of work, and they got to out what they wanted to do and do it. So I made an adaptation for all our special needs students, where I created worksheets that were just like um, you know pictures of Mars family, and she had to cut out the words. First, she would match picture to picture, then she would match word to picture, and have like a, where they just draw the word mom to the picture of mom. So I created all these specialty worksheets for them. And the idea, as a paraprofessional, my job, I was told to stand over everybody's shoulder and do hand over hand. And I would look at the work that the kindergartners were getting. And some of it was, okay, how particular she, my learners. And also, like, how much are they learning if I'm over there all the time telling them to do? So I created these sheets taught them how to do it, and the goal was for them to do it on their own. Long story short, within six months, my little ones with Down syndrome in the class went from like running all over the classroom, hiding underneath the desk, because the work was just, it didn't make sense to them, so they were running all over the place. Once they got work that was meaningful from them and that they could do by themselves, within six months, they were readers, they were learners who were excited to learn, and... They were working. I could give them their folder. I could walk away and they could sit there and do their work for that 45 minute period of time. And I think your story is really typical. Oftentimes and why we have this podcast, people are labeling these children, whether it's autistic, Down syndrome, you know, cerebral palsy. And that's all they see is the label. They don't see the potential of the child. They just, and like you were explained, Oh, this is how we do it. It's hand over hand. This is how maybe they'll learn. Maybe they won't. It's almost just kind of going through the motions. And that's what you were told, right? And you stood up to that in a sense, right? Nobody was really in your way. You had a great team, it sounds like, that supported you. But, you know, if it wasn't for you and making that impact in those children's lives, you know, they would have just been going about doing the same thing. And you decided to just question that. And that is just, it's so simple, but like revolutionary. Yeah, well, even just the concept that you had this idea from not necessarily from working with these kids before, but just this idea that they could do more. And I think that's such a strong principle that like we try to project in our podcast as much as possible that like, 
these kids are kids and they've got potential just like any other kid and we need to be having high expectations that they can read they can write they can go off to college they can do this and that and I think that's such an amazing quality to have such eyes open without you know it's easy if you've experienced a child living with down syndrome who goes through a whole education program and you see them as an adult and they're successful to be able to say oh well, I've seen it so I know it can happen but for you to just believe it without did you have experiences like growing up as a kid with any kids with down syndrome or where did that come from that was oh, just inherent absolutely no this is this was my first experience with anybody with down syndrome autism anything so that's why i kind of went in like really not knowing what to expect and i did yes did not grow up with anybody with down syndrome and it's so awesome because now it's my life and i just my to have you know these students so yeah, so then what ended up happening was some of the moms said, well, can you work with our child after school? And I'm like, sure I can. And so I started working after school with the three Down syndrome and one boy with autism and one girl with a vague learning disability. And I just sort of helped them and you know went along. And then <laughs> there came a point where, oh, so then I took one of the students and then I went into a full inclusion setting. So I went from an SDC class to a mixed class to full inclusion all the way. And it was really great for me because when I look back in hindsight, I, it, was all, it was all part of my training. So I could experience each setting. So in the full inclusion, what I did with a little girl, I had high expectations, modified for her, but it's also, I knew it was imperative that she have work that she could do at her own level that she could get wrong and she could grow with. Right. So she had her folder that she worked with, you know, 45 minutes a day. She did everything else everybody else did. We adapted the work, but... Typically, she was done, you know, way, like if everybody was journal writing, she'd be done in five minutes and there'd still be 30 minutes left in class. And that's when I would pull out the folder with her specific work that she could do independently, but also learn and grow from. And then she would work on that. So I got to experience that. Then I decided to leave the school district. I'm going to keep this positive. I won't. I was basically told that I couldn't work with children with Down syndrome anymore because people were actually wanting to come to the school that I was at and people just were to, to work with questions. you. <laughs> oh wow! Yes. In my naivety, I thought—I mean, things haven't changed a whole lot. In my night, I was naive and I thought, "Whoa, I've got the golden egg here, guys! Look, I was waiting for people to come to me and go, what are you doing? We're going to do this because it's working.' Right. This never happened. So, <laughs> and I learned a lot." I really don't like to rag on the school district too much, but I learned that sometimes the system is hard to crack. Yes. <laughs> so my place was to work solely in private practice. And then over the years, it built, and I've built my program. Patricia Owen's work was the foundation. And just by working with hundreds and hundreds of children with Down syndrome over the years, I just saw how they learned best. And I would make activities that would be specific to them. And the great thing about what I do is the three students that I started to work with, I still work with them. They're 25 and 26 now, That's I think amazing. 26. And most of my learners come to me at age four and I see them into adulthood. So it's nice to have that consistency. And it's been great for me because I can see what the process is. Like a lot of times moms will get frustrated, like, oh, they're not writing sentences. We've worked on this for years. And I'll say, well, it's gonna take years, but there's a definitely a system to it. Yeah. And then once they get it, like whoa it explodes so it's, it's nice to be in that spot in my work right now where I can say what before I didn't have I mean I could say like I think this is gonna work <laughs> right it's gonna work 
and now I can say I know this. Is yeah, you work. know it's so going to work. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. I think that you not only have those high expectations for the children of you can do this and getting them to be independent, but I think also for the parents that you know patience is a virtue. And I know that we say this a lot to our clients. They tend to compare. Well, Johnny has autism and, you know, he can speak and my daughter, Sarah, should be able to speak. And it's hard, I think, for neurotypical parents to not compare. But also we live in an age where we can get whatever we want delivered to us. We can Google the name of that actress from that TV show 20 years ago and we get results in 2.8 seconds. And sometimes I think it's hard for parents to step back and say, you know what, it may have taken that kid two years to learn how to write their name and their address and it might take my kid three. I think it's just hard when we don't have that patience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that I love about your program is that it's not just about teaching the kids to read and write. I think I want to say like holistic approach to your program that you're not just teaching the reading skills and the writing skills like you are really helping that child develop even vocational skills. I think you were talking on the Lucky Few podcast about just how you greet the students that, you know, you have different expectations than parents might have, even from not asking questions to, you know, allowing them to kind of learn from you rather than telling them what to do. Right. And that was like, when I first started working, like one of the hardest parts was like telling parents what to do, like, you know, like saying like, when the parents would come in, I'd sort of like let the child go to them. And what I was noticing was like one of my students, she was 16, she'd been with me for, here she is at 16 and her mom's still saying, say goodbye to Miss Brown, yeah. Miss Brown, to yeah. have a good weekend. I was like, oh, this isn't good. And I've been letting this go on. So and I thought at this time, I need to teach my learners as well to like, mom, stand back. We're gonna go to the door and I teach them over the week. So I could look in my eye, shake my hand and say, bye Miss Brown. And that's, I'm teaching them a skill that they could take out for. And, you know, parents do that. I'm a mom. I did that with my kids, too. Like, I was always, you know, answering for them or things like that. And it's just a common thing that moms do. Yeah. But I was glad that I could see that and I could help my learners get past that and speak up for themselves. And it's been really great. There's so many opportunities to learn. And sometimes moms and dads and teachers rob the child that opportunity almost because it's just faster if I remind them to say goodbye you know the child may eventually get around to saying goodbye but if we're anxious for them to be socially accepted you know hey we're leaving you got to say goodbye you got to say goodbye bye-bye and it's just like oh my goodness you know and I think that when we can stop and kind of step back and it's just so hard because you're just so in it and you might not even recognize that in yourself but we know a lot of parents that are like that want to you know they think that they're not helping their child if they don't remind them right well i think we think that if the way to teach is to tell versus show and I think that's something that you've kind of shown that right. you do things a little bit differently, even from, I think you were talking about that not asking too many questions because questions put right. on let's, so much let's pressure. Talk about teach, let's talk about teaching versus testing because yes. that is huge. So I learned this from Patricia Olwine in her book and, oh, wow, what a game changer. So normally when we're, like say I have a book, I'm reading it to my student. I'm like, oh, look, we have a book about animals. That's testing. What's mm-hmm. that animal? Oh, what color is that? We all do this until I read from Patricia why you don't want to do that. Okay. 
testing is like, oh, what's that? And then what, you have that uncomfortable silence where the child's just like, I know you know that. Come on, right. give me the answer. You could do that. Right. So what you've done is you just put a stressor on that child. It would be like, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but it'd be like a, before this podcast, and I'm going to say, okay, you guys, what are 10 things you learned from me? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, I just put you on the spot. You don't ever, you can't learn when you're under stress and you're put on the spot. So what I do, let's say I have the book, the animal book. Oh, look, we're going to read the animal book. Look, there's a pig, there's a cow, there's a cat, there's a dog. Let's open it up. Oh, look, dog, dog, cat, cat. So I'm teaching them what it is I want them to learn. You do that enough times, then I guarantee you, I pull out the book and I start to talk and they're like, I do it myself. You know yeah. what I mean? Then they show you that they can do it on their own. Yeah, but you so, let them get to it in their own time. You let them have that waiting time to figure it out themselves to see, oh, I know this. And that's the only way you can learn. And when we're always asking questions, we're like totally putting them on the spot. And I've had moms over the years that go, well, they know the answer. They know that's what it is. Well, my here's my rule. I learned this from tattoos. I never ask a question unless I really want to know the answer. Like, do you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, right, or right. or. I do have activities where we play question games, where we're practicing asking questions and answering questions. Anything other than that is testing. Now, that said, once I got that down, it took me about a year to stop doing it. It's like the hardest thing for parents to stop doing that. But once I got it down, everything changed in my practice. Like there was no timeout chair anymore. I mean, I rarely have any behavior problems. Because everybody's set up for success. They know they're not going to be tested. They know they don't have to prove themselves. They know they're not going to be wrong. So they're comfortable. And it just makes such a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I feel like ingrained in us from when we were kids, that's just something that, not even just parents, but I think about like my nieces and nephews. Like, I think I'm always like, what did you do at school today? And now I look back and I'm like, I always get the I don't know answer. And it's like, that's why I get the I don't know, because I'm putting them on the spot and I need to share about my day first or I need to yes. read a book instead and then let them, you know, bring that information to me. And then what we're doing, too, is we're wiring their brains for learning. I learned this from Pat, too. Like, say we're teaching math. Like, parents get freaked out about math and like, oh, they're so behind in math. Well, first you have to wire their brains for math. So, like, you're on a lake with your little child and whether they have Down syndrome or neurotypical and you see three boats out there a typical child will go like oh i see three boats two are yellow one is blue a child with a learning difference you're going to have to put that information in there into their head so you can't just say oh what do you see out there you'll help them along and go oh look i see three boats two are yellow Mm -hmm. one's green you know i'm saying you just keep doing that over and over again and then i used to do this with my students when i have a group okay we've been sitting down i go oh there's three boys two girls two have glasses one doesn't that's it. I just say that. And I would say that every single time. And then usually like two months later, they would sit down and they would start to go, oh, there's two boys, there's two girls. You know what? They would say the things that I've taught them and they start thinking for themselves and they're doing that. And I think that's what I see missing most in school situations. It's like, there's so, it's that the goal is like, okay, we've got to learn how to write your name. We've got to learn your colors. You got to do this. You got to do that. And everybody stresses out. And I used to stress out too. And what I learned was, you just when you offer everything you offer you show questions in different ways you show words in different ways and i get it but when you focus too much on the one particular goal everybody gets bored does that make sense yeah totally something that people tend to forget as well is value in repetition I, oftentimes you know a man and i will be at iep meetings and 
the school may say, oh, yeah, they know how to read this book, but the child has read the book like a hundred times. So they've memorized it to a certain extent, but that comprehension as to actually what happened in the story isn't there. And I think that when you rephrase the information that you want the child to know, like you're doing the one, two, right? It's just, you know, hey, there's two boats out there, two are yellow, or yeah. there's three boats out there, two are yellow, right, one right, is right. red. I wasn't even paying attention when you were just, no. But yeah. <laughs> I think it's at a certain point that comprehension follows. And it might be a different way of teaching kids, but it's something that has value that I think that you've kind of you know, brought to the forefront and has worked repeatedly with this population. But Amanda and I were talking about it before uh, we started recording in that, like, this is just a great way to teach any child, whether they have a learning difference or not. It's that multisensory and, you know, repetition, but having the comprehension and then eventually independence and critical thinking, because that's what I think... Right. The end goal is, is we want critical thinkers. We want somebody to think independently. And oftentimes we don't put that on our kiddos with downs or with autism. We just think, well, we got to, you know, they just need to know what the stop sign is. And and it's like they need to read and and it's just like we got to crawl before we walk. You are so right. And I love when I can get to the point with them and I can teach them how to be critical thinkers. We just take what we start with, and then we, each month it just expands and expands and expands till we get to that point. But I want to give the listeners like a hint on comprehension because I hear that all the time with readers. Like, well, the child reads, but they don't comprehend. Let me tell you what the problem is in school. Let's say I need Jack Apple to fetch a pail of water. They can read that book, right? First of all, you give them the answer. Like, okay, this book is about Jack and Jill. Who is this book about? Oh, it's about Jack and Jill, down to the very, very, very minutest. What school has a tendency to do, and I've seen this with neurotypical learners who are a little bit behind. I've read some of the comprehension questions, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so hard. Right, right. (laughs) I have a hard time. What are they asking? So you just break it down. Like, I remember I used to make sheets for my student, and it would say, I see a cat. The cat is cute. What do you see? Do you see a cat or a dog? And then I give them the answer the first couple times till they're confident enough to get it. Is the cat cute? Yes or no? And then you just keep doing that and you mm-hmm. just build on it and build on it and build on it. But that's the problem is it's not broken down to the easiest for them. Right. You know? Well, it's almost like those worksheets for comprehension. It's the same thing as asking the questions. It's just on paper, mm-hmm. which is now the problem that you have with asking a question with testing. But then you're adding on the extra layer of them having to read <laughs> the question and not just hear it. Right. Which is, you know, and I think that's something that it's not just the how are we teaching them, but also how are we checking that they have understood and retained that content? I think schools are also very quick to have it be, we got to test real mm-hmm. quick and we got to make mm-hmm. sure they know it fast so that, you know, we can get this testing done and get on to the next thing and whatnot. And we're not coming up with creative ways to check for that understanding. We're assuming that it has to be done in a test and if they can't complete it in a test where it's like, in real life, are we asked to write tests, like answer questions on paper in a worksheet in a test, fill in bubbles on a Scantron to be able to show that we know what we're doing in our job? No, not at all. Here's an example. I have a a little, it's being fully included this year. It's going very well because the teacher wants them and the teacher is eager to learn. And she came out to the house and she watched this boy and she was just like super eager. Now, one of the questions on some tests was like, the boy has a tool. He's in, the boy's in the sandbox with a tool. And I think he had like a, asked him like, 
question, like something about the tool, but makes sense to the boy about the tools. This teacher thought to make an adaptation, like, oh, does a boy have a shovel? And then he got it correct. So to me, that was so awesome because she's thinking outside the box. We don't yeah. have to just be so like, oh, it says, doesn't know what the tool means. Like, he's going to know eventually, but let's just break it down to a shovel right, right. now. You right. know? So it was really great to see that teacher make that adaptation and think outside the box. And because she's got that mindset, he's doing great in the classroom. Because that's not taking away from his understanding of what's happening in that story or that picture. He still understands if he's able to answer shovel instead of tool. That vocabulary is something that, sure, we want to build up vocabulary as well. But it's kind of separate from comprehension. It doesn't have to be tested both at the same time. Right, and all too often, they'll just say, nope, didn't get it because it says tool and he didn't get tool. Okay. Right. You're starting from a place of wanting success, right? Like, of course, I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes with these goals, we don't want the child to be successful. Of course, everybody does. But I think that we miss the baby steps and we go straight for this big goal and it's going to take a year, but we're going to get there. But then, you know, when you start, it's just, well, yep, they, he didn't understand tool. So we got to go on. It's just like, you're not even starting from a place where we want him to be successful. You got to build that confidence up. You're already automatically going towards making this child feel like I don't want to do this so I'm going to run away I'm going to throw this paper and you know as children grow you know at first they're not really using their words right they don't have words they basically cry and that's it right and so then as they get older with our kiddos that's why we see these behaviors because sometimes they don't have the language and sometimes I mean I think even when you try to ask an adult why are you so angry you know if somebody that's very in tune could be like, you know what, I'm just really hungry or like, or especially in the moment in the when moment, you're feeling yeah. something, it's hard to express yourself, even as adults, even adults that even people I know that go through like trying to get in tune with their emotion. It's still when you're in that moment, it's difficult to express it. You have to wait till you're done and be like, oh, yeah, I felt this way. And so our expectation for these children are just like astronomical. Yeah. Like, I just don't even and like you just kind of throw that all out the window and you're just like, no, they can do it. They will do it. And this is how we get them there, which is right. And you, phenomenal. you can meet them where they're at. Like yes. here's another example of this little boy, like his fine motor. I'm not even going to say, he might be like a little bit below average for a little bit below average, but I also like look at it and go by fine motor. I'm just talking about taking a marker and making a circle or just making a line. Mm-hmm. So we start with just making simple lines, go straight line across scribbling all this stuff so when the teacher came to talk she says well what his goal should be to write his name and i said no because he's got kind of a hard name so let's let the goal be right now that he makes straight lines he enjoys making circles he tracks you know he he tracks along and he's like okay that makes sense and so instead of her getting them getting frustrated in the class because he can't make a k or he can't do this or he can't do that or he can't do the letter everybody's doing and then they give him papers with just where he's just doing ghost stop where he's just making circles. So he gets to practice on what he's already sort of successful at till he builds it as a, till he's got it. A little bit harder to start making ease. So it's been great to watch. And he's going to, writing for him is a successful experience. It's not, not something to be, I can't tell you how many kids that come to me that I have to actually detox them from the, what has been done in writing in school because it's a negative experience. Right. Because you're, they kind of jump from going to developmentally where they haven't had the chance to scribble and just do it wrong to, okay, now we're in kindergarten, you've got to make these P's, you've got to trace your name a hundred times. 
So they miss the fun part of that most toddlers get or that most preschoolers get at just being able to scribble and have fun. So, yeah, and I mean, yeah. we use that language, right? Oh, it, reading's a non-preferred activity. What's a preferred activity? And sometimes I find it fascinating to see, you know, the kid absolutely loves math, but then, well, non-preferred is word problems because they have, you know, difficulty with reading. But instead of trying to step back, try to modify, try to work on that, they're like, well, it's non-preferred. Yeah, why don't we just give up at that point and say it's non-preferred, so it's just always going to be non-preferred. Why aren't yeah. we trying to make it preferred? I don't understand. Like, oh, when we exactly. have kids, like, right. usually young kids... Like, just because they don't like something when they're young doesn't mean they're not going to like it when they're older. Or maybe you need to do it in a way that they can understand and then they'll like it. I just, I don't understand the idea to that we're going to just assume something at one time and it's always going to be the case. No, I know. I remember when I worked for the school district, they had a special ed saying that kids with Down syndrome plateau age five. And I've heard that, I've uh, heard that before. But I've heard that too. People, and it's still around, and it's yeah. so not true. No, I know. What plateaus is the teacher plateaus yeah. because they don't know how to teach. They yeah. continue to keep trying to do the same thing over and over, you know, definition of insanity, doing everything over and over and over and expecting a different result, and rather than, let's think about a different way to do it. And, I mean, that's what we do in so many other facets of our life. If something doesn't work, we try a different way, or usually people do. Not everyone, but right. most people. So why aren't we doing that with kids? I mean, there's so much research out there on the brain, and even though we're still learning a lot, there's so much out there to be gained. We, I just wish more people would reach out to that research. And like the book that you found, I mean, how long before you found that book had it been published? Do you know? Okay, so I think Owen wrote the book in the 80s, and she started her work in the late 70s. And I'm going to tell you what's really, because so Patricia is amazing. I became friends with her. I got to share with her my work, and she loved what I was doing. So over the years, she's just been a great mentor and like a mother figure to me. And it's like a Bible to me, and it's so worn and torn. And when I pick it up, I still get excited. I'm just like, ah, like if I was to write a book, the first 70 pages is exactly what I write. <laughs> and, but I also, I was doing a speaking engagement, so I picked up the book to, you know, bone it up on a few facts. And. I was really sad because this is back in the early 80s and I'm telling you not much has changed. I mean, awareness has changed and early intervention, but as far as educating these children, it's sad. It has, I don't know why people aren't getting on the bandwagon and just running. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I started out this whole crazy journey that Vicki and I have been on as a paraprofessional for a child living with Down syndrome and just, I mean, instantly fell in love, but you know, I was fortunate enough that I was at a school where I asked for support to deal with behaviors, but I in no mean, I mean, I had to do a lot of modifications for assignments as well, and I didn't have the training to do so, but, you know, even back then, like, you know, there was a, an amazing school that I worked at, but they weren't using these kinds of strategies. I mean, we did the best we could, but I mean, yeah, I wish I would have had this book back then, but it's crazy that we've come so far and this isn't widespread. I know. I really don't get it. And actually, the students who come to me as readers, and they've all used Patricia's book. They've all, or they've had a teacher that's used it. And it's few and far between. But I just had a student start with me. The mom asked me, he's 15 years old, and she says, I want, my son is trying to write me. He gets frustrated. He writes scribbles, and he wants write, and can you teach him how to write? And I'm like, yes, I can. But that's a sad commentary on the school system. Why hasn't the school taught him to read and write at this age? You know, he's a bright boy. 
you know, everybody's bright, but you know what I mean? He picks up very fast. So I would love nothing more than to see the school grab onto this because all these children are really missing out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We need you to teach a course for every future teacher, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so that's going to be... We're going to sign you up. <laughs> you're you're going to become our best friend, and we are going to revolutionize well, I'm education. I'm so excited that you're in Orange County, too, because we'll definitely need to have a sit down with you. I'm like just so interested in the way that you do things. So we're so happy we had you on the pod. I know we could talk forever, and we'll definitely need to have you on if you're willing to come back because i just yeah, know that could, our list we could talk forever. we're like kindred souls we could talk forever <laughs> yes well i have to tell you when we found out you were going to be on the pod we were so so excited i think we were recording another episode and i think we were talking about something that i had heard you say on the lucky few podcast and i turned to vicky and i was like yeah yeah because she's gonna be on like next week and vicky's like what <laughs> <laughs> it's just so amazing the work you're doing. And so I know that we're going to get a bunch of people asking how they can get in contact with you. What's the best way for them to find out more about your program or if they want to get more feedback from you or more information? Oh, okay. Well, so here's the great thing. As you can probably imagine, there's only one of me. So. Yes. Yep. yes. <laughs> about 10, 15 years ago, a mom found some of my little YouTube videos that I posted on YouTube for the moms so they could share with grandma and stuff like that. Oh, can you do an online program? And so I was like, I guess I could. So <laughs> it's difficult to translate what I do here on for somebody that I can't really talk to in person or they can't see it. So over the years, I we've developed a very good online program. So now we it's really thriving. We have over a thousand people in it, and wow. we have a Facebook teaching group. So go to so happy to learn.com. And I think joining the Facebook teaching group and the online group, it's very reasonably priced and you just get everything that I teach and more. So that's my way of outreaching and I would love to do things with you guys. I mean, it's really my mission. I, I always said, I think I said this on the Lucky Few podcast, I knew from the very beginning that what goes on in this Brown's house here is too good to keep to myself. You know, I have to share that. So. It's sort of my mission to share it in any way I can because I want all children to just be happy, successful learners. And I know that they can be, you know, given the right tools. Absolutely. We love it. And we love you. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. And yeah, everybody look out for future events with us. Go take a look at her Facebook group. I know I'm going to go check that out right now. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Our listeners, we will talk to you next week. Bye.